We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Hit that. Welcome into Washington Training Camp Live. Craig Hoffman with you for the entirety of Training Camp. We're going to be joined by different guests every episode. We're twice a week, Mondays and Fridays, streaming live at 1 p.m. on the Odyssey app. And then, uh, of course, it's a podcast, so you can listen whenever you want. That's kind of how podcasts work. Uh, But joining me for the first one is going to be, boom, announcement time. We're starting hot and heavy. My co-host for the pregame shows on 106.7 The Fan and the Team 980 this upcoming season, it is former Washington football tight end, Logan Paulson. Logan, what's up, man? Welcome to the pod, and uh, what's up, teammate? Yeah, man, I'm really excited to be working with you, and it's nice to get kind of a little bit of a dry run right here, see how you are, and uh, yeah. maybe not game, game time situation. Me too, actually. So. Yeah, it's it's a training camp for both of us, if you will. That's right. Uh, and I, I always love, you know, I, I, when I was working at 980, I got to work with Cooley, who obviously was your teammate. And, um, you know, one of the things I always appreciated about his perspective when I hear other tight ends talk about the game is you guys have such an understanding of everything that's happening because you play such an integral part in the run game. You play such an integral part in the pass game, blocking running routes, um, you have to understand, you know, kind of that middle of the field perspective uh, and all the things that are happening there at all three levels. So um, I always appreciated that perspective. And, and I'm just curious, like, as you moved into the analyst role and you watch other analysts who maybe played other positions, like, do you feel like that that perspective that you have from the position you played it has held up in the way that, you know, I've, I've seen it uh, in, in my experience? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think, you know, I was always considered like a, a smart player. And one of the reasons is because I wasn't a great athlete. So I had to kind of learn a whole bunch of stuff. And I think you bring up a great point, like the tight end position does kind of lend itself to kind of a deeper understanding because you are really tied to the run game. So, you know, you have to know what all the O-linemen are doing, know where the runs are targeted, all these different things. And in the past game, you have to know concepts, what coverages they're trying to be. You have to understand defensive coverages. You have to understand defensive fronts and it really, you know, kind of uh, lends itself to this really comprehensive understanding of the game that, you know, like if you just talk to an offensive lineman, for example, they know a lot about run blocking and pass protection. They don't understand coverage that well. Or if you talk to a quarterback, even they don't understand run scheme that well. So I feel very fortunate to have played such a kind of a, a position that demanded so much intellectually of you. Yeah. And I think the other thing is not just the intellectual side, but the technique. Right. And, yeah. and because as a quarterback, sure, you understand scheme of the run game some because you're making the calls to target the runs and all those kinds of things. But hopefully, barring, you know, the, the random one play on a reverse per year, like you're not getting in there mixing it up, mm-hmm. hand placement, understanding the angles and all that kind of stuff. At least you know, maybe you have some kind of intellectual understanding, but it's not like you've done it. Right. And that's the thing I think too, from a tight end perspective is you guys have done it both as, you know, yeah, I pass blocked, I've run blocked, I've run a route. Um, and so except for like dropping back in a, in a five-step drop and having, those guys <laughs> coming at you, having Chase Young come at you uh, and having to get the ball out on time on target, like you've done it all on the offensive side too. Yeah. I think that's, that, I mean, when you phrase it like that, I think there is a lot of value there. You know um, I do a lot of coaching of like high school football players now kind of in my spare time. 
and it is interesting you know getting a kid to understand like what it feels like to put your hands on another human and like that only <laughs> comes with times and, and experience and uh and I, th I think you're right i think it does lend to a, a very unique perspective uh, so now we take that perspective. We'll use it all year long on the pregame, but we, we start this Washington training camp live experience with, with some big thoughts on this team. Um, a game that I, I've played with with multiple people now when I've been filling in on, on the radio is like, what's the position group for this team that you have the most confidence in and the position group that you have the least confidence in? And, and maybe that's going into training camp. Maybe it's as you've seen the reporting and uh, whatever involvement you've had in these first couple of days uh, when, when they were down in Richmond, now moving camp back to Ashburn. Yeah, so I think it'd be an idiot if I said anything other than defensive line. You know what I mean? Like, that is a pretty stacked position group. I mean, two of the best defensive ends in the NFL, two of the best outside pass rushers, young talents, Payne Allen inside, Ioannidis, Settle. I mean, I think the one area of kind of weakness, perhaps, is the fact that there's not depth at defensive ends, you know? So you're mm -hmm. kind of relying on maybe three guys who have limited playing experience. Like Casey Tuhill, I think, is kind of my dark horse favorite favorite for that. And I'm biased because I work out with him. So like, you know, <laughs> we'll really see how that develops, you know, and if there's a position group that I have like my least amount of confidence in, that's really interesting. Cause I, I think, I think one of the things and this kind of speaks to what Ron's done this off season is he's done a really nice job from a personnel standpoint. I think maybe offensive line, you know, you lose, you lose Morgan Moses, who in my opinion was one of the best right tackles that I played with over the course of my career. And you bring in a rookie in Cosme, who I think has a tremendous athletic upside, but who ultimately might be a guard, depending on it, whether he can handle like these longer, more dexterous ed edge rushers. So like, what is he going to be? Lucas is on the COVID list right now. Like, you're, and I think, you know, after talking with a whole bunch of people in the building, they like Lucas a lot. So maybe you feel good about him starting, but he's not practicing now, right? You bring in um, Leno to play left tackle, a guy who I played with when I was in Chicago. Very good player, but he's not an elite left tackle. Like, and I think he'd tell you the same thing. Very good, not elite. You're kind of playing musical chairs on the uh, interior of that group a little bit. You know, where does everyone fit? Is Schweitzer going to start? You know, Sheriff has been in and out over the course of his career. So I think if I had to say a position that I was kind of on the fence about, I think they're going to be fine ultimately, but um, it would have to be O-line, I would think. Yeah, I, I think that's where I'm at, too, is uh, the, the depth of defensive end definitely worries me. And it's one of those things where I was like, yeah, same thing, like duds defensive line. And I was doing this with B. Mitch when I was filling in for JP one day. And he's like, well, what, what do you have behind Young and Sweat? And I was like, I don't know. Let me go to ESPN.com and check the depth chart. Right. I don't know off the top of my head um, because it's just not guys that you know. It's a bunch of seventh round picks. But you have so much talent there that, and if those guys stay healthy, like that's a, that's a rock star group. Um, I have a ton of confidence, in the wide receiver position too. And we can get into that in just a moment, but O-line, the, the thing about O-line and the same thing is true for linebacker. The, the, the two that maybe you're like, ah, I don't know yeah. is you feel like they have enough options that even if they don't wind up shining, they're going to figure something out that's serviceable. And if you yeah. have good talent around it, which they do in a lot of these these cases, then you can kind of make the most of serviceable and, and wind up still being a very productive unit offensively or defensively. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think linebacker would have been the other one. And then the one I think that people aren't talking about, to be quite frank, is running back, to be totally honest. I think running back, huh. you're, you're really like one person away from like not having a first and second down running back. I think, you know, Peyton Barber's a fine player, but he's not a game changer the way Gibson is. And sure. Gibson's still nursing that turf toe a little bit. So... Like that's a position depending on Gibson's overall health. And you kind of say like, well, you know, McKissick is, is an elite third down back, but how is he on first and second down? I think he showed flashes last year, but can you do that for an extended period of time? And I would 
wager that the answer is no. You know, maybe he proves me wrong, and I hope if that does happen, he does. But I think that's another position where you'd like another true runner there. You know what I mean? And maybe that kid, uh, what's his name, Patterson, Patterson, Patterson from, yeah. uh, from Buffalo, he could be that guy potentially. He like Everyone thinks of him as being like this scat back, but he was like a runner. Like I'm making this comparison kind of tongue-in-cheek, but he was the Derrick Henry of Buffalo. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he ran the ball. He got a ton of touches. He's not catching the football a whole lot. So maybe you feel good about him kind of entering that role. I wonder about his explosive characteristics. But, you know, we'll see. And so those are – that I think much like offensive line, like how deep is it really defensive end? How deep is it really? I think the same problem is true of uh, running back. That's a really good point too. And this is also where you get into – and I used to hate having to do these like 53 man roster projections as a beat reporter, right? And you – because you start getting into the numbers game of like, well, yeah, that'd be great if you keep all the four of those guys and then you feel like ultimately you probably are right as the season goes. But then if you keep four running backs, what other cuts are you making? And it becomes this numbers game where, yes, you have a lot of options, but ultimately you're going to have to cut off your nose to spite your face somewhere because there's only 53 guys that are on a roster and you have special teams considerations and all that stuff too. Yeah, and I think they put themselves in kind of a weird spot with tight ends specifically, you know. They brought in Sammy Reyes ahead of kind of the draft. They signed him to a contract, and I think he showed enough athletic characteristics. You're going to have to keep four. So usually if you keep four four tight ends, you don't keep four running backs. You know what I mean? That's just kind of how it goes. Right. Or you don't keep another linebacker, right? And, like, you got to think everyone says, oh, you shouldn't keep that that fifth linebacker, that fourth linebacker. But usually that guy is a special team stud, you know? And so, like, you got to keep him. Oh, don't keep the, the fourth or fifth safety. That, that guy's a baller on teams. And usually running backs – are not traditionally very good special teams player. Obviously, there's exceptions to that rule, and there's guys that I played with who were outstanding on teams that played mm-hmm. offensive running back. But I think that's always a consideration. You know what I mean? Like you got to think globally, as in terms of like just that specific position. Like I had the opportunity to play with a guy named Stephen Means when I was in Atlanta, who they who they cut in Philadelphia, and he was one of the best players I've ever seen. But like just because of how the numbers shake out, like you got to keep guys who can play teams who give you some flexibility on the roster. And I think that's so critical, especially when looking at running back, right? Because they mm-hmm. traditionally don't play special teams very well. Right. I actually think of um, when I was on the beat, Byron Marshall and Jay loved Byron Marshall because right. in theory, like Byron Marshall was this guy at Oregon that had a thousand yards receiving thousand yards rushing. He in theory was this incredible weapon on offense. One, he never really did that much on offense when he actually got into NFL right. games. And then two, he was a bad special teams player. Like he was right. a kickoff returner. If you got the chance and he actually wound up, I think it was the game in San Diego where he like awkwardly pulled up or something like that. Like something happened with a hamstring or a knee and you know, it was a bad thing on a kickoff return that cost them. But as a, other than being a returner, he was a bad special teams player and made mistakes that cost them big yardage. And I think at one point a touchdown on a return right. uh, in a game in Tampa a couple years ago. And, and it's exactly what you're talking about. Where just, you had this obsession with what a guy could be who ultimately was a backup at his position. And really the most important characteristic for that guy was how is he as a special teams player? Right. You would have much rather kept a safety, a linebacker, literally anybody else based off the, those results with all due respect to Byron. Yeah. And I think, you know, to, to be fair to Byron, he had he showed flashes, I think, like they kind of said, oh, well, there it is, you know, and he kind of teased you enough that you thought, and, you know, we have the same agent, and, like, my agent was like, this guy could be something really special if he gets in the right system and all that stuff, and, like, there are thousands of guys like that that I've played with, you know, that are, they're really, like, really a good receiver, right, but they're not starting, and they're bad at teams, so what do you do with that guy? If he's right. 
do you keep them around and just basically like have them hang out on the sideline with a ball cap on? Like you're wasting a roster spot, you know? And like, as much as it kills me to say that, like one of the reasons I got out of the NFL after year 10 because I was not, I wasn't a good special teams player anymore. Like I just didn't have the wheels to do it, you know? And mm-hmm. like that makes it hard to justify keeping a guy. Like I was a good blocker. I was a decent pass protector, you know, good first, second down tight end, but I couldn't contribute in this other area. And for a guy who's only playing 40% of the snaps, is that good value there? Probably not, you know? And so I think that that's always something that fans overlook is like, how does this guy fit globally on this team? And if you look at, like those running backs, like, I don't know, right? Like, I think that's one of the reasons Peyton Barber stuck around for such a long time is because he's an okay teams player, you know? Right. It's like he adds value there, so. Right. So you're a Steve Carrick guy, huh? I am a Steve Carrick guy. Look at you, knowing Look, everybody. Hey, that's yeah. that's a former beat reporter coming out, knowing the. That's right. Uh, that's where all the scoop comes from. Yeah, uh, sometimes. I had, had no I will not reveal them. Steve was never one. Uh, yeah. I didn't know Molly, who works for Steve. Uh, not that she was yeah. a, a source for things, but she was always someone that I love seeing. Wonderful, wonderful yeah. people there. The they're, 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 good, they're good people. And like yeah. what I've found is like later in my, uh, you know, kind of my post playing career is just like all these stories you see like Scheffner and all these guys come through. Like it comes from the agent, like 90% of the time. So the oh, agent's yeah. just pumping exactly what he wants, the exact narrative, like, so word to, word to the listeners, just be careful what you hear on those things. Yeah. Uh, Rappaport, Schefter, and like the agents know too, like why would I tell you local beat guy? I yeah. have on the other line. Go away. I'm not interested in returning your, that was, that was my experience on that end of, the, of, of a lot of those conversations. Um, right. So like what's the position battle to you that you are, whether it's like a and it could be tight end because like that's your that was your position or it could be a particular guy that you've known him and worked out with him like what is the most interesting storyline to Logan Paulson not necessarily to Washington football fans but to Logan Paulson for training camp so I think there's there's probably three one is for fans and just generally for the team and the other two are personally right so I've worked out with Sammy Reyes that story is really interesting to me I think the tight end position in general is kind of uninteresting I think it's Logan Thomas Bates a third probably um, Seals Jones I would guess. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Sam East, if they redshirt him for the year, kind of put him on IR, or does he make the team? I don't think he can get to practice squad. I think that's where it gets a little complicated. And then uh, the defensive end, the third defensive end, or the fourth defensive end spot, because I think, what's the kid's name, number 96, uh, bigger defensive end? I think he's a good player. Oh, God, what is his name? Shoot, forgot his name. Uh, I'm, I'm blanking too, but I'll, I'll get it in a second. Yeah, yeah. If you get it, bring it up. I think they have good three, right? And I think that guy, who could, like, once his name comes up, we'll get it. But he can play inside and outside. But that fourth spot, like, who is it? Is it Two Hill? I said I worked out with him. I want him to make the team. Like, I think he's a good dude. Or is it one of those young guys? Do they show enough juice in training camp that they become the fourth pass rusher? Um, and then I think the most interesting spot like far and away for me is wide receiver to be quite frank like i think yeah. you've got some really interesting dynamics happening in that position group i think you've got terry i think you've got um samuel who's yeah. hurt right now right so like yeah. how does he come into the season right humphreys who i always liked but has been a little bit off the radar the last couple of years then you go like is it then diami brown like i those four seem like locks past that i have no idea right. I do. And the thing about Deami Brown is like his college tape was just okay, I guess. You know what I mean? Like in terms of like big plays all over the place, tracking the ball, great. But in terms of dynamic route tree, like non-existent at Carolina. That's just, that's not his fault. That's the offense that they run. Right. Hmm. So like, how does he transition the NFL? Right. 
then the other guy I'm like really watching is AGG, right? Like I went to practice today because I was doing a show with Julie Donaldson, which was a lot of fun, but he looked great today, you know? And like people haven't been talking about him in this way of like, uh, like as a dominant route runner. And I think adding some, and obviously Cam Sims, we forgot to mention Cam Sims, who I think is a really good player and brings a ton of uh, unique skill set to that group. But I think that group is just so interesting. Like it's just, there's like storylines throughout. There's Harmon. There's all these guys, right? Yeah, I was so, gonna say there's there's other guys. By the way, James Smith Williams, the DN. Thank you. Yeah. So James, I saw him today for the first time in person. Dude is a tank and is like kind of one of those special players, and everyone speaks very highly of him. But yeah, thank you for getting that. Yeah. Um. By all means, and thanks to to Anthony also for putting that in the chat. That's what the producer <laughs> does. Way to go, Ant. Uh. But no, wide receiver because like we you just mentioned what five six names. And we didn't yeah. really get to Kelvin Harmon, who looked right. great apparently in camp last year before he got hurt. And then he goes down uh, and was has been a productive player. Not like super productive, but he was really young the last time he was on the field. And he was, what, a sixth-round pick, I believe. Right. Uh, that also doesn't mention Steven Sims, who has been an extremely dynamic playmaker, who seems to have fallen. Like, this is a thing where I'm not on the beat anymore, and I'm not talking to people in the same way that probably even, frankly, you are at this point, being right. around, having the connections in the league that you do. But... I, from a purely outside, like guy who knows a little bit of football for covering it for five years and who has watched all the games, the fact that Steven Sims seems on the outs is kind of nuts to me because he has the skill that you covet the most. And there are some other issues that are problematic in terms of consistency and all that kind of stuff, but he scores. Like at the end of the day, Steve Smith or uh, Steve Sims is a guy who can get the ball on any play and score from anywhere on the field. And that's just a skill that's really hard to get in this league. And we're not bare, like, he could be the eighth guy that yeah. we're talking about that, that is kind of like a no brainer cut at the end of camp that speaks well to the depth of the position, but it is kind of an interesting, like he does bring something that no one else does. And also as a returner, again, he's had some fumbling issues and you wonder how much they trust him, but the ability to score is a good one to have is, is a guy who has the ball in his hands and he's got it. Yeah, I think you're right. But I think, you know, one of the things like we talked about special teams is kind of one of those like hidden X factors. Like, mm. like think about this from a coach's perspective. They are like mortgaging their future on these players, right? So like is the explosive playmaking ability more important or a guy that you can trust? That you can take coaches it to the love bank? the guys you can trust. It's and like sometimes to a fault. I'm not saying in this particular case, but sometimes to a fault, you're just like, hey, that guy's better. Just because you know that guy's going to be mediocre and you know it doesn't mean that makes him better than the other guy. Well, I think it's even more than just being mediocre. I think it also is like related to the idea that like um, that you like they know the playbook. You know that they're not going to go out at four a.m. and like you know crash their car. Like there's something to that, and there's something to being able to say like, oh, like I'll use myself as an example. Like Logan is in the game. Like I'm not the most athletic. Like there are guys that are way better than me. Like bigger, stronger, faster, the whole thing. But like I've had coaches tell me like I can go to sleep at night when you're in the game because I know you know what to do. And like that is extremely valuable. And so I felt like just as a fan watching the games last year, kind of breaking down the film, like Sims got to a point last year where you just couldn't trust him. You know, you couldn't trust him to catch the ball. You couldn't trust him to run the right route. And like despite those explosive characteristics that you just mentioned, which I'm sure everyone's well aware of, like that's detrimental. You know what I mean? And like hopefully he can get that figured out and like be somewhere if not here. But I think – that has way more pull than people understand, right? Like if you're the CEO of a company and you have an employee who's awesome at their job, but like is never on time, misses meetings, like 
is it does like you're gonna fire that person like i don't care how good they are like that's just how it works because you can't run a business that way it's the same thing here with ron and the staff i, I think right for sure no i i agree with you and i think it just depends on the percentages right because at the end of the day if we're, if we're making this x's and o's not in terms of like schematics but like it's it's either or you know binary code now we're getting nerdy we're going <laughs> zeros and ones right either you do yeah. the thing or you don't right. and we take away the reasoning why because yeah. if let let's say you have the not as athletic, not as explosive guy who like he knows what he's supposed to do, but he just gets beat a right. certain percentage of the time. Is that really more valuable that you can count on 80 percent of the time player X is going to get beat versus the random like, OK, he, he's successful 90 percent of the time. But the 10 percent is more frustrating because he just didn't know what he was supposed to do. But well, it sounds like when you watched the film last year with Sims, like those percentages got way out of whack that it was it just wasn't worth the upside. So it's not even like way out of whack. I, th I think when you just look like look at a guy like Isaiah Wright, for example, right? Mm -hmm. He is not more dynamic than can than uh, Steve Sims, excuse me, but he was playing more. And I think a big reason for that was because, like, especially when he kind of took over the role, he wasn't dropping the football. He's a physical player. He knows where to line up like those things are important. And I think when you compare Isaiah Wright to Steve Sims, like you'd say, oh, well, Steve Sims is athletically far superior. Then why is Isaiah Wright playing? Isaiah Wright was just getting the job done at a level that was good enough that made that made the coaches say, this is, we can trust this. You know what I mean? And I think sure. that that's, that's, where, that's where that comparison, I think, is. It's not like, oh, this guy, we know what he's going to do, but he's going to lose all the time. No, you want a guy who's going to be in there. You might not be dynamic, like dynamically winning every single down, but he's executing he's executing what needs to be executed for the offense to work. And I just think like I'm not trying to again, like I'm not trying to kill Steve Smith here, right? I'm not trying to say he's a bad football player. I'm not for trying sure. to do any of I'm not trying to do any of that. Because like I think he's a good football player. I think with given the right opportunity, he'd be fine. But like when you do the return man and you drop a punt, like that's not good. And when you do the return man and you let the punt drop and then roll, that's not good either. Like right. Those things are why you're on the team. And when you're not doing those things, I don't care how athletic you are. Like you're not doing your job effectively. Right. Right. And you come in and then I think you had a couple of drop passes near the end of the year. Like those things accumulate, you know, and they, they, they resonate with the coaches. They stick with the coaches. And I think as much as he might be a great human being, as much as he has all those athletic qualities you just talked about, like, unfortunately, like, like he's not doing, he's not doing what he's supposed to do. Right. And I think the other way to phrase that is he doesn't give you a chance. Right. So if you have the the less athletic, less dynamic version who at least runs the right route, you right. have a chance. And, and this also goes to something that I, I hope we get to go into. Like, I hope we just have a segment as a regular segment on the pregame show this year where we just like go into a play and nerd out because I love the X's and O's. Like what that's the thing I miss the most. Like I used to do tape Tuesdays and like I always used to you know, have a great thing like you know, had a good rapport with players who would be like, okay, I'll tell you like what actually happened on this play. And, and it was a right. great learning experience. And that's, you know, I certainly plan on being able to go back into plays with you as we're sitting there in the studio and, and stuff. So, you know, listeners can, can look forward to, to getting into that kind of detail. But, you know, one of the things that I learned over that experience, and, and certainly, you know, extremely well is how interconnected the pieces are. And right. if Sims run, you know, if Sims is in the slot and McLaren's outside him and Sims runs the wrong route and Terry wins, but all of a sudden Sims does something that puts a DB in a place that they're not right. supposed to be like that screws Terry. And that could be the play that could have won the game. And so the, the interconnectivity and and the small margins of the nature of the NFL game where little things matter in a big way, I think also makes those mistakes, which maybe even at the college level are, are a lot easier to tolerate 
uh, much less tolerable for a guy, even if he has that extremely high upside. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the other things that makes me think Steve Sims is in trouble is they bring in uh, DeAndre Carter, who's like a return specialist. Like, that's what he does. And if you look at his career, it's not like he's clipping off, you know, huge returns all the time, but he catches the ball when he's supposed to catch it, doesn't let the ball bounce, and he attacks the return, he attacks the scheme when he gets the ball in his hands. And so I think, like, that does not bode well for Steve Sims. Like, I think Steve, like, even, like, if you look at last year, like, he didn't play a lot the second half of the year outside of being a punt returner, you know? And then, like, when he does get in, and I mean, he, so, again, to his credit, he made some nice plays in the playoff game, you know, a couple big first downs, things like that. But I just think, you know, maybe the staff is done. And, I, like, you know, we're not with them every day. Like, we don't know. So, like, I'm just kind of making observations as, and, and giving an explanation as to possibly why. You know, like, I've been a player. I know how hard it is to do what yeah. they've done. And, like, to have somebody here, me, sitting somewhere just talking kind of crap about you. And, like, that hopefully doesn't – doesn't not what I'm doing. But, like, I'm just trying to give, yeah. you some, give the listeners some context. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I always try to do that as well. It's like, Hey, look, this is hard. Um, I'm not, yeah. I'm not one of these guys is going to sit here and be like, well, I could have done that. It's like, absolutely not. Uh, I'm just, I, I was told by someone that, that is in charge of your job, that that's what your job was and you yeah. don't be doing it particularly well on this kind of day. And that's, that's, that's my job. Um, <laughs> last thing uh, on the way out. And this is Unfortunately, I think going to be a topic on this podcast and possibly this season far more than it should be. But that is the COVID kind of cloud that's lingering over this team. Uh, right now, it's seven currently on the COVID list as we record this on Monday afternoon or we're streaming live on Monday afternoon, depending on how you're consuming us, um, including Deron Payne, who says, no, I don't have COVID. So he's, he's basically shared with us that he is in the contact tracing thing. But the reality is that if you are not vaccinated, which half of this team is not roughly, the numbers are changing day by day, um, that being in contact tracing involves a certain amount of, of quarantine time and, and all the numbers are, are dependent on whether you're vaccinated or not. And I'm just curious, like if you were a veteran in this locker room and you were talking to guys, like how would you be handling the situation? And what do you think the conversations are amongst players and maybe even staff and players right now? Well, I definitely understand the reluctance to get the vaccine. I mean, it's a new piece of medicine and like big pharma over the course of its life has not been like the most trustworthy <laughs> institution, you know, but despite those kind of the negativity associated with big pharma, like they have done some really good things. Like they've eradicated polio. They've ended smallpox. Like there are times where they come through and they do the right thing and they execute at a high level. And everything I've read about this vaccine seems to indicate that that's the direction this is going. So I would probably mention that to people that were reluctant because ultimately like as a player, like I just was talking to uh, one, I have a friend who's a ENT or a, you know, like a, like a first responder basically, mm -hmm. but all the drugs that I used to take to play, like all the anti-inflammatories, how long I was on them, all the NSAIDs, like all the stuff I used to take. And she was blown away. She was blown away by it. And so like, if you are reluctant to take this vaccine, right, which as of right now does not seem to have any kind of long-term side effects, but you're willing to be on um, some type of anti-inflammatory for a whole calendar year. And that has been linked to liver failure. Like, I think you need to kind of evaluate why you're really not getting the vaccine because ultimately like, again, like I don't want people can do what they want to do, but like it hurts the team. If you don't do, if you don't get the vaccine, like it hurts your ability to focus, right? Like I had to, like I went over the park today. I had to get a rapid test this today. Those players have to do that every single day. That's 45 minutes that they're wasting getting a rapid test in the morning. Like, 
It's a waste wow. of time. It's like lack of sleep. They're not eating breakfast, whatever it is. Like they're not, they're going to be like, you know, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. And then the fact that you're missing practices, you're missing opportunities because of contact tracing because you don't have the vaccine, I think is also kind of foolish. And then kind of the biggest thing is you have people on the team with compromised immune systems. Ron Rivera, you are Mm -hmm. literally putting his life at risk every time you go into work for for something that like I got vaccinated, not because I'm worried that I'm going to die of COVID, but because I'm going to see my parents. Right. And sometimes like those people that you work with, those people that you care about, they're more important than any kind of reluctance you have regarding some kind of maybe misplaced. I don't want to say misplaced because I think the fear is, is valid, but you know, any kind of fear you have regarding this, this thing. So I think um, the right word though, because it's, you know, it, it can, I think the perspective that you've shared is, is spot on. And, and kind of my question um, for guys like Montez Sweat who say like, I would like more information is what information would you like and who would you like to tell you? And, yeah. and because when, when the experts, the epidemiologists come in and they tell you that it's safe and you're still reluctant, okay, well, who, who are you willing to listen to and what kind of thing could, could ultimately change your mind? Right. I think that's, that's such a, that's such a, a fantastic point really. Like, cause you know, like, I remember coming in and we had like, this was in uh, Atlanta and we had a marijuana specialist come talk to the team because a lot of guys had started taking it, it was legalized in certain areas of Atlanta and I remember the epidemiologist guy, or the the uh, not the epidemiologist, but the, uh, the the he was a he was the foremost expert on cannabis, Harvard professor, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And he goes like, we just don't have enough evidence to support some of these claims. And guys were literally like, that's not correct. And I'm like, when did you go to college? <laughs> like you know, what I mean, like what is going on? Like you didn't even graduate. Like and you're right. telling this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Like he's talking about peer reviewed studies and science and. And you're just like, and he's running right. his own, he's running his own lab at Stanford. And you're just like, no, I don't think that's true. Like, right. okay, cool. Like, and so right. I, I definitely, I definitely understand that. I, I've seen that firsthand and it's tough, man. It's, it's tough to get through to people. I think like not only on this team, but like nationally, like that's a big issue too. And like, I totally understand that. Um, that and people have the right to not do it. You have a hundred percent right. But I, I do think in the context of the NFL, you're opening this team up to tremendous risk. Like I was always a guy who was a fringe roster spot guy. So I'm not making like zillions of dollars, you know, like every game check is important to me and my family and the future of my family. Right. But if you screw around and give everyone COVID and we have to cancel a game, like that's $40,000 out of my pocket that I don't ever get to an opportunity. And because I did everything right. And then you screwed it up. Like that's frustrating. That would be frustrating for me as a player. Right. And I think that's a little bit of an underrated part of this. And I'm curious how fast it bubbles up is it's real easy to be understanding and like, you do want to respect people. And and I'm not, I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but when that stuff starts affecting people's pockets and their ability to compete. And if you like, there is a potential locker, like, of course, the most important part of all of this is the health and safety of of everyone involved from Ron Rivera and and everything that he's dealing with, with his um, cancer diagnosis, treatment and and the resulting uh, immune deficiency that he has to the players themselves who probably ultimately if they got COVID would be fine. But who knows, like Jason Tatum in the NBA is still dealing with long COVID symptoms and and has to take an inhaler before games Um, from from all of that. But there's also like a purely football locker room dynamics element to this that I think is really kind of bubbling under the surface. And and I think a team like Washington with their current status is certainly a place where that could blow up in a big way and could affect uh, what should be a really good and cohesive football team that should compete for a division title. 
Yeah, I think that's a great point. Like everyone, I, and I, I love the leadership on the team. Like they've been very accepting and open about this. But I, I think if there were to be an issue and you miss a couple of games, you miss the playoffs, you miss something like mm-hmm. that's going to hurt long term. And so um, I hope nothing happens. Everything's fine, you know, irrespective of the vaccination rate. But like it's it's it seems to be challenging with the protocols that the NFL has instilled and for the for, for the Washington football team to be the lowest you know, like, what are they, half or something right now? Like, it's yeah. 70%. Like, that's a pretty drastic difference. Yeah, uh, I think they actually, over the weekend, moved into second lowest. Uh, Indianapolis is now the lowest in the league. Uh, but I also think they had a vaccination day. Yeah, they did. So um, hopefully those numbers will come up quickly. And um, I assume at this point they're probably getting the mRNA vaccines based off the data that's coming out on Delta. But now we're going down an epidemiology track, and that's uh, that's not where we need to go. If people maybe, on are, show we'll have, maybe on the show we'll have a, like, a, like a doctor come on or something. Well, I was going to say, so when I was in for Sheehan uh, Thursday and Friday on 980, I actually had uh, Dr. Abdul El-Sayed, uh, who is oh, an epidemiologist. Nice. Uh, he's on CNN all the time. Uh, he's a great dude and a huge sports fan. So we had him on. So if people want to check that out, uh, just go to the Sheehan podcast uh not not kevin sheehan's podcast but the podcast of the radio version of the kevin sheehan show because sheehan is everywhere i have to qualify that no one's gonna find that now no one's Third. gonna find that you're just like we're like right here in the odyssey app just search kevin sheehan we're in the app right now are we i don't know we're in something else i people are listening it's great yeah, right. uh Logan, ho- I had fun with this. Hopefully you did as well. And and you are now, we've gotten to know each other for 30 minutes. Are, are you looking forward to pregame this season? Absolutely. I look forward to pregame every season, season now, but especially with you. Thank you, Logan. I appreciate that. Uh, we will be on, I believe it's 10 a.m. Uh, coming up during the season. Uh, we'll do 10 to 11 on both 980 and the fan, and then we're 11 to 1 on the fan leading straight into kickoff. So uh, very much looking forward to that. Uh, more episodes of this to come as well. Maybe Logan will rejoin us a little bit later in training camp, but you'll be hearing from the Chris Russells of the world, the Grant Paulsons of the world, JP, B. Mitch, all of our team here at Odyssey. So We are excited for that. Uh, Logan, this was great. Very much appreciate the time. And uh, we'll see everybody next time back here on Washington Training Camp Live.